Today's message is break out of blindness. We're going to look in John chapter 9 at the account of a man who was born blind, and he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever, healed him of his, his blindness, and, and put him on a different course. And uh, during that encounter, this man was transformed from being blind to becoming bold. And so we want to see that boldness in, in his life and, and reflect it in, in our lives. So even though Jesus healed people from physical blindness, he was more concerned with their spiritual blindness. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That last phrase, he called us out of darkness. We've all been stumbling around in the darkness before Jesus became the most important thing in our lives. And, and so we, we want to move from that darkness to his wonderful light. And so... Years ago, you're aware, my family was in a serious car accident, and, and my dad had a, a temporary episode of blindness uh, that he experienced. And, and so to, to, to illustrate that right now, I'm going to ask that we black out all the lights for a minute, and I'm going to read his description of what that was, what was like at that time. He said, our family was returning from a vacation trip up to the Wisconsin Dells, and on our trip back to Cincinnati, we were traveling south in Illinois down a two-lane highway, US 51. We were almost to Bloomington. It had been raining most of the day, and suddenly I, I looked down the road and saw the car coming toward me starting to skid, and, and then it turned completely sideways. I, I hit the brakes but could do nothing to avoid what was essentially a, a head-on collision. A young boy was thrown out of the oncoming car and died at the scene. In our car, thankfully, neither of our sons was injured. Gwen was the most seriously hurt. She had a skull fracture and suffered a permanent, complete loss of hearing in her right ear as a result of the accident. My dad continued, my head hit the steering wheel upon impact and my glasses shattered. An eye specialist at Mennonite Hospital in Bloomington took 21 pieces of microscopic glass out of my eyes. At the same time, Gwen was taken to the intensive care unit of the hospital. Our, our boys were checked out and then taken to the home of an emergency room nurse since Gwen and I were both admitted. The nurse took care of them until their uncle Lynn could drive down from Wheaton. After the surgeon finished getting the glass out of my eyes, he placed medicine in them and told me they would have to remain bandaged for a day or two in order for them to heal. Then began the most helpless feeling I have ever known. My wife was in the intensive care. My sons were with someone I didn't know, and I couldn't see anything. I was in a room I'd never been in before, and I was some 300 miles from our home in Cincinnati. The simplest things became a challenge. When they brought me food, I had to try to guess where it was on the plate and, and try to eat. I had to reach around on the nightstand to try to find a Kleenex or a drink of water. I had to be guided and helped to the bathroom. I had to get help to make a phone call. 
But one of the most wonderful memories of that helpless time was when a man came and stood by my bed and introduced himself to me. He was an elder in a non-instrumental Church of Christ in Bloomington. He had heard on the radio that a preacher from a Church of Christ in Cincinnati had been in a serious accident, and he came to see what they could do to help out. The relatively brief time that I was completely without sight let me understand a little of the helpless feeling that blind people must live with every day. The hesitant step, the uncertain touch, the sense of dependency on others. Let's restore the house lights and then turn to John chapter 9 where this man was born blind. He had had never known sight. He he had lived a lifetime in darkness. And so in verse 1 it says, as he went along, this is as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this has happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's interesting to me how quickly and incorrectly the disciples concluded that Well, this man's disability must obviously be some direct punishment for some serious sin in his life. They said, is this man being punished for something he did, or is it something his parents did that kind of spilled over onto him? And we're all quick to try to find the cause of a problem. And once and for all, Jesus declared, neither. There's that immediate innate tendency to assign blame, to determine cause for the painful difficulties in life. We we studied a a message series a couple of years ago here. If if God is good, why do bad things happen? And let's review several factors from that. One reason bad things happen in life is because of sinful choices. These are due to our own disobedience of of God's word and, and God's will. We can all think of experiences in our lives where we knew what God wanted us to do. We didn't want to do it. We did the opposite. We did what we wanted to do, and we paid a price for that. We can each insert a personal memory there, or probably, if you're like I am, you can insert several personal memories of times where uh, our own sinful choices uh, really caused the pain of the consequences. I think sometimes in in life that the bad things that happen are a result of natural laws. Those events of nature that insurance policies unfairly categorize as acts of God, such as tornadoes, earthquakes, hailstorms, floods, lightning strikes. There are circumstances occurring under the the laws of nature, uh, under the weather conditions, or or a car accident, or or a medical condition like, like cancer. And these acts of of nature occur under the laws of of nature that have been set in order by God, but they are not directly caused by God. Let me give you an example. If you you choose to to run on the ice, your free choice may result in a fall or a a collision on the sidewalk. A, a A broken bone may 
result from that. Gravity seems uncomfortable at times, but God did not direct this fall to happen, but he set up a world in which we exercise free will, and he set in motion uniform ways in which the the laws of nature behave, such as the the law of, of gravity. If you're driving 90 miles an hour around a sharp curve and you roll your car and don't make the curve, that's not God's fault. That's You defied the, the laws of gravity, that is, those natural laws that are in effect. But I think there's a, a third category of what can cause the, the bad things that, that happen in life. Sometimes we do it to ourselves through sinful choices. Sometimes it's, it's the law of nature and and we contract the disease because of that. And, and sometimes it's because of Satan. In, in the book of Job, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see Satan attacking Job in an effort to, to prompt this godly man to curse the Father and, and turn his back on the Lord. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had this besetting uh, ailment he referred to as this thorn in my flesh. Uh, this this messenger from Satan, he called it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, and bad things like that can originate from, from Satan. We're not absolutely sure who or what is responsible. We can't always definitively determine the cause or the purpose when we encounter bad things. So I think we need to be really careful in defining them. So let's read on in chapter 9 here in John, verse 6. Having said this, uh, Jesus spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and, and then put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash at the pool of Siloam. And the word Siloam means scent. So the man went, washed off his, his face, his eyes, and, and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, because that's how he had to exist since he couldn't see or, or, or really work a job, said, isn't this the same man who used to always sit and beg? And some claimed, yes, that he was. Others said, nah, he just looks like that guy. And he said, I am the man. Well, how were your eyes opened, they demanded. He said, the man they called Jesus made some mud, and he put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Salome and, and to wash. So I went and I washed, and then I could see. I think it's interesting. Jesus could have just healed this man with a spoken command. He just could have said, hey, and one, two, three, you can see. But he, he didn't. He asked for a response from this, this particular man. He, he mixed this mud, made a, a, a poultice for his eyes, which is still a, a way that people with eye difficulties are treated today and then he commanded him go take some steps of of action wash it off and and then come back and and so the man had some skin in the game he had some responsibility he he obeyed and and put his faith into action and so after encountering Jesus the the formerly blind man then bravely credited Jesus with granting him vision verse 12 where is this man they asked him, I don't know, he said. So they brought him to the Pharisees, the, the man who had been blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. We saw that last week, the, the healing of a man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees 
had these additional opinions about what someone could do on the Sabbath and, and then what constituted work and was disobeying God's law. And God's law was very broad, but they defined it with minutia. And so these same guys are here looking at, oh boy, he did it again. Oops, he did it again. Another healing on a Sabbath. Uh, I can't believe that, you know. How could he defy God like that? And, and so that was what, what upset them. That, and we know that was no work or effort for Jesus. He, the author of the Sabbath, wasn't in violation of his Sabbath. It was in violation of their man-made human traditions that were more exacting than, than what God had. Therefore, the Pharisees, verse 15, asked him how he had received his sight. And uh, he, he said that he, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, referring to Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And so they were divided. Some said, He's obviously of God. You know, no one goes around healing the blind. That's a miracle. And others said, well, he's not adhering to our opinions and our strict traditions. Therefore, he must be evil. And they were split over this. Verse 17, finally, they turned to the blind man, okay? They think he's of the devil. They think he's of God. You cast the deciding vote. What do you think? formerly blind guy, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and the man replied, he is a prophet. Well, they didn't think that was the right answer. At least it was not the answer they were wanting to hear. And so they were upset about that. Years ago, we used to have a Honda Odyssey van that's color defied description. Some would describe it as a shade of green, you know. Uh, some would say uh, it's gray. Still others saw it as being a hue of blue. It was one of those nondescript, man-made colors that is not duplicated anywhere in nature. And so when we pull the car in, okay, what year? Okay, you know, what color? Uh, help, help me. I'm not sure what, what color you know, that, that originally was listed as. Uh, some things are hard to define. They're hard to explain to others. And this formerly blind man was having a hard time convincing the others of the source of his miraculous healing. Verse 18, the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind. You know, that couldn't happen and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Okay, we'll, we'll clear this up real fast. Let's bring his mom and dad. They'll, they'll tell us if he's lying or, or not. Okay. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? Then how is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. And there's this great little parenthetical note there. It says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, uh, uh, he, he's of age, uh, uh, why don't you ask him yourselves? And a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. 
And they said, you know, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. They're saying, you know, give God glory, not this sinful guy that you claim healed you. And I love what he said in, in verse 25. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you already, but you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want me, do you want to become his disciples too? Well, that was the last thing that they wanted. That couldn't have been farther from the, the truth. And, and now it's like, well, did you quit badgering the witness? I've already told you. I've explained it. You dragged my parents into this. You've asked me again. Um, do you want to hear this because you want to learn and become followers? Or, or are you trying to break me down under cross-examination? And, and, and I love his response. You know, whether he's a sinner or not, I, I don't know. I just met the guy. But I know this. I was blind, and now I see. So you be the judge of his character. Seems like a miracle to me. Sounds like he's from, from God. And, and that is a great verse because sometimes people think, you know, I don't know enough to help lead a friend uh, closer to Christ. You know, I, I haven't been a Christian real long or I've, I've never been to Bible college. I, I don't think I, I can do that. And, and this passage says, yes, you can. This guy just became a follower of Jesus. He's, he is fresh out of the, the baptistry, you know, proverbially, proverbially. He's just a brand new, wet behind the ears believer. And he said, you know, this guy changed my life. I don't know all the, the facts and ins and outs, but I can tell you he's made a difference for me. And, and, and you can do that. You know, our, our church has helped me with my struggle. I've found support through Christian people, I'm reading the Bible now and learning it, and, and it's fresh and relevant to my life. It has value and application. I've come to see Jesus as more than just a historical figure, but he's my Lord. He's my master. I'm trying to live my life for him according to his teachings. The newest Christian can assert that. So we're, we're all without excuse for, for sharing our faith well, they, they didn't like his answer. It says they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. You know, oh, wow, you're following him, huh? Well, we are disciples of Moses. As though they were at odds with that. I thought Moses and Jesus were on the same team, right? We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, no, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. He's getting bolder, isn't he? He's gone from blindness to boldness. At first, it's like, uh, and now it's like, okay, I, I've had it about up to here with these people. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And this was how they tried to end the argument. To this they replied, Ah, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they, they threw him out. 
If all else fails, then toss in a few disparaging slurs about the legitimacy of his birth. We don't even know where you came from. You were born in corruption, you little moral reprobate, and you're lecturing us? Get him out of here. And then Jesus heard they had thrown him out, verse 35. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. He, he was open. He was searching. He was seeking. He says, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm, I'm curious. I'm interested. I'd like to learn. Could you inform me? Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. He said, you know, they're talking about Moses. I'm the fulfillment of all the things that Moses has been forecasting for 1,500 years. It's come to fruition today. It's found fulfillment in me. You have seen me, the Son of God, the Son of Man. It's the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This random encounter with Jesus had marked this man. He would never be the same. This natural outpouring of a grateful heart made him want to live for Jesus, serve him, obey him, follow him. And Jesus concludes the lesson by confronting the Pharisees with their spiritual blindness. Not a blindness of the optic nerve, but this blindness of their hearts. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. See, the Pharisees thought they could already see. They were kind of the spiritual leaders. And yet Jesus said, you think you can see, but you're really blind. You're missing God. You keep all these rules and regulations and you go through these motions, but you have no relationship with the Father. You think you can see, but you're blind. And he said, there are those who are, are blind and are saying, hey, I, I don't have all the answers. I, I'm lost. I'm searching. And he says, I, I'm going to give them real sight. Verse 39 reinforces the fact that Jesus came to bring spiritual sight, vision to the blind. The, the Pharisees understood that this was a, a denunciation of them. And, and so uh, listen to verse 40. I mean, they, they didn't miss that Jesus was, was uh, speaking to them. It said, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they said, what, are we blind too? Are you calling us blind? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. You know, if, if you didn't know any better, you know, that's ignorance. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Yeah, you're blind spiritually. And the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees persisted and it removed them farther from Jesus and truth than if they had been not capable of knowing and seeing the truth. Helen Keller said, there is none so blind as those who refuse to see. Before we close, let's wrap up with just a quick review of these application points. Number one, Sometimes we can identify the cause of our adversity, and sometimes we can't. And so be real careful about that. And I don't think we should be determining 
the cause of someone else's adversity. That's, that's not for us to, to weigh in on. Application point number two, Jesus can make the difference in overcoming our challenges. On his own, this man, was he was stuck. He was in a rut. He had been blind from birth. Uh, just as I described my dad with his eyes bandaged for two days and trying to figure out a routine, this guy had, had lived that way for his entire adult life. He was old enough. He was of age. Ask him yourself. He, he had been like this for decades. But Jesus can make the difference in overcoming our challenges. That's the variable that we need to try or, or add or lean on or utilize that, that maybe we haven't tried before. And application point number three. From the Pharisees, we learned that we must guard against spiritual pride and this refusal to see our own failures. And we all have our blind spots. It's really easy to see the, the faults and flaws in others. I mean, they're like neon, glaring. We're not so quick to, to see those when they manifest in, in our behavior and in our lives. And that's where reading the word will help convict us and point out those things. And, and sometimes family members, close, trusted friends can say, I, I think you're really wrong on this and, and, and help us. And then the fourth and final application point is that the genuine gratitude demands that we share with others what Jesus has done for us. Again, once this man had experienced healing, he had to tell others. He had to, to, to gossip the gospel to anyone who would listen. Uh, he, he was sharing it. We saw that last week in John 4, the woman at the well. We saw that the week, the week before with the paralyzed man. There's this brimming full heart that just needs to talk about it to others and, and, and hopes that they'll find deliverance and, and help too from Jesus. Dave Dorn writes, Recently, a firefighter in our church was told by one of his firefighting colleagues that belief in Jesus was for weak people. He said, I found that ironic coming from a firefighter. He said, I, I have a fire hydrant in my yard that runs along the side of our house. I've never looked at the fire hydrant and felt any shame. I, I drive by a firehouse every day. I never think, if this community didn't have weak people, we wouldn't need firehouses. And when I pay my property taxes every month, taxes that help finance fire departments, I never get angry at myself thinking, oh, if I could just handle fires on my own, I wouldn't have to write that check and, and pay those taxes. Imagine a person whose house is on fire. The fire is raging out of control, and, and soon a, a fire truck pulls up. Sirens are blaring. The, the person runs out of their uh, home in, in a rage and says, how dare you come up to my house and think that I can't handle this fire myself. Firefighters, they're for weak people, not for me. What would you think of someone like that? You, you would think that person is insane. Dorn goes on, we know that fire departments are for weak people because a power exists that we simply can't deal with on our own, fire. And actually, we admire firefighters because they are people who have committed themselves to take on the power of fire at personal expense. And then he concludes, Christians are weak in the same sense that a community is weak for having a fire department. Christians are people who acknowledge that a power exists that they can't 
confront and live, that the holiness of God. And this, however, is not a cause for shame because there was a man, Jesus, who dealt with that power at his own personal expense on a cross. And when someone is rescued from the flames, we're not thinking about their weakness. They're overjoyed that someone would risk it all to save their lives. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And I mentioned Helen Keller earlier. I'm reminded of another quote from Helen Keller when she said, I don't regret that I've lived my life being blind, for that means that the very first thing I will ever see is Jesus's face. Would you stand with me? Let me pray. This morning, Lord, we all want that assurance that we will will see face-to-face Jesus someday, that our sins and bad choices, iniquities would would be overshadowed by his righteousness, his perfection. Lord, uh, as we think back on our lives, we see the different experiences of pain in our lives, and some are self-inflicted, and some are brought on by the world, and people having free will to make bad choices, and and some are just because we're in a battle against evil. So today, may we be reminded from this man in John chapter 9, and, and may we realize the only source of help and deliverance is found in your son, Jesus. And Lord, then may we be quick to share that with others. May we have a, a boldness that doesn't back down and that truly is concerned for those who are lost. Lord, just lift the scales from our eyes and may we, as we sang earlier, ask you to open the eyes of our hearts and may we have great sight spiritually today, we pray. In Jesus' name.